Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 539 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Ready to drop some knowledge on you, Joe. Somehow, some way. You know? Really? Yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. You better pick that up. Oh, what? That knowledge that you're dropping. <laughs> okay. Usually it's names that I'm dropping. Or I'm dropping Hamilton's. That's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. As a follow-up to the uh, story I told on At Odds this past week, where I did a run-in on my kid's Zoom classroom mm. to tell a little girl in his class who wants to grow up to be a wrestler. Uh, I've empowered that girl to, like, bring it up, like, every day in class now. Right. Um, so that makes me happy that there's kids out there that like wrestling, you know? And I'm like, I go, do I tell her the people that I know? Like, is a nine-year-old going to care? And I'm like, no, I'm going to just keep that to myself. You know what I mean? Oh, look at you. Look <laughs> at you. First of all, I would never, you know, this goes for whether it's a young boy or a young girl. So I don't want to say like girls shouldn't be in wrestling or whatever. You really shouldn't be pushing people into the wrestling world. You know what's in the wrestling world, Joe. So I, stop. I do, but it's not my place as a nine-year-old, like to tell a nine-year-old that I don't know, like whatever it was. Like if a kid in there said like, I want to be a comic book artist. I'd be like, well, you better start, you know, <laughs> getting a real acquired taste for bottom ramen, not the top stuff. Oh, my goodness. Let's not go crazy. I don't know. I think now's the time for you to be Joe Sposto, crusher of dreams. <laughs> no, it's not my responsibility to do that. Like, once they're a teenager mm-hmm. and, like, they, they still have the same dream and they've done nothing toward that dream, then that's when I can come in and crush the dream. I think my favorite uh, unlived dream is the 48-year-old rock star. That's my favorite. Hometown rock star. But anyway. Seems a little inside for me. But no, you. but that's the thing. So there's so many different levels of like a success when it comes to being a comic book professional, being a professional wrestler, being a 48-year-old rock star, any of these things, you know? Right. If you if you play the Bloomsburg Fair as an opening act for Fog Hat, you know, you're a rock star. <laughs> you lived your dream, right? Right. You got but to open what, for Fog Hat. You just don't have to tell anyone when. Right. Here's the thing though. What's how cool is it to be the guy who knows the guy who knows Orange Cassidy? That's Joe, oh, there you go. <laughs> That's and has now has a mint copy of his uh of his action figure. That's right. As opposed to that slightly not so mint copy, mm, it had a dimple, a yeah. cute little dimple. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to mention that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this week on the show, um, more discussion of Marvel um, not having a singular focus on event comics. What, How about we put it of, that way? The House of Ideas. <laughs> the House of Ideas. Um, also a, I guess, newly on the radar comic book creator, uh, of ourselves, 
mm-hmm. has a lot of new projects coming out. We'll kind of discuss my thoughts and feelings on those. And someone's exclusivity at one of the big two companies is up. And what does that mean, if anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, what we read, uh, digital books and sales, of course. Uh, what we read this past week, which includes King in Black number three and Maestro War and Pax number one. And I got some bones to pick uh, about these two comics. And it's not so much about what's inside them, Todd. Uh-oh. I think I know. I don't even... I have a guess, but go ahead. What we're looking forward to this week, uh, Todd's Art Attack. Uh, Todd and Joe have issues discussing more Jonah Hex, <laughs> more of the Clone Saga, uh, and the uh, discussion of Episode 3 of WandaVision. This time, I guess, late 60s, I guess we would say, right? Right. Is it episode three already? Yes, because we right. did two. It was two the first week and then one this week. Right. No, in my head, I'm thinking it's episode four already because of the first two. I thought we had two episodes after the, the opening week, but I'm all confused. Time, if we know. did, no one told me. No, nope, I'm good. <laughs> and I'm, I'm woefully good. behind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, last week, some information to come out. Some teasers, uh, because Marvel is approaching the 25th anniversary of Heroes Reborn. Not to be confused with Heroes Return. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked a week or two ago about how Marvel, like DC has taken the Crisis branding from 1986. And I don't want to say run it into the ground, but they've done their best to establish it as a brand that is recognizable with them as a company. And I just want to say before you go any any further, that crisis had that crisis moniker has been around a lot longer than eighty six. Right, but you know, like eighty six was like the big one. That was the one that was supposed to reshape the entire DC universe, streamline everything, relaunch all of these books, depower Superman. <laughs> you know, you have crisis on two Earths and all those other things going all the way back to like the sixties, right? Right, I was just, you know, just putting it out there. Yeah, but, like, 86, like, that's the one. That's when it became, like, a branding more so than anything, right? hmm Whereas Marvel has, like, 14 different ones that they kind of just recycle all over again. You know, I, I'm excited for, you know, a year from now when we get the 10th anniversary of Siege comics. Oh, that will you be know, good. Uh and I and like we're like oh and Atlantis attacks and they just did Atlantis attacks a couple months ago, Acts of Vengeance the only one that they haven't come back and revisited, um, but obviously there's a difference between Heroes Return, Heroes Reborn. Heroes Reborn is of course when they brought in all of your favorite uh, image care uh, creators and Rob Liefeld to put a fresh paint of coat on some of the lower end. Uh, Marvel characters, most namely the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. Todd and I, as old men and maybe many listeners of this show, can remember when the Avengers was not a top-tier property. What? Even those uh, those Black Widow-led teams, Joe? <laughs> the Black Widow-led teams, the Hercules and Cersei's-led teams. Which one was uh, the leather jacket team? Was that the Hercules and Cersei? That was the Hercules and Cersei one. Uh, the Avengers cartoon where Hawkeye was the leader and they all had like cybernetic robots to like, I don't want to say that it was attempting to make the Avengers, the power Rangers, but it was attempting to make the Avengers, the power (laughs) Rangers. You said it. Um, 
however, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, does anyone care about Heroes Reborn? You know what I mean? Like, is this branding, like, bringing more people in, or is it pushing more people away? And then I see some of the teaser images come out, and I'm like, okay, like, this doesn't look like the Heroes Reborn of 25 years ago. It looks like there's different things going on. And then they announced the creative team on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis. Right. Um, That that interests me. (laughs) Um, But uh, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to say, like you said, it doesn't look like Heroes Reborn. It looks more like uh, what was the what was the Age of Apocalypse? Like it w- with an Avengers theme. It's like, oh, the, this happened to the Avengers back in the day. So reality's like changed, kind of a deal. And now we have these like mix up, mash up characters that don't. So I don't know. It's not more of a Heroes Reborn, but uh, I am interested. But it's got. I love Jason Aaron. You know that. I'm a Jason Aaron guy. I like Ed McGinnis. I've liked Ed McGinnis more lately than back, like his DC Superman, Batman days, stuff like that. Um, just the whole thing of Jason Aaron and anything Avengers has left me flat. Like his Avengers book, I haven't read in, like I will read anything with Jason Aaron's name on it. And as I just kept reading the Avengers book, I'm like, I like this, but I don't know. It just doesn't, it's not, it's not grabbing me. So it has, it's attached Jason Aaron, anything attached to an Avengers-esque thing makes me go, I, I, I don't care. But most likely I will try it. But do you get what I'm saying? I'm with you. I was on board for the, again, Jason Aaron's name is on it. Sign me up. But there was just something about the Avengers stuff that didn't click for me. And I gave it to the crossover with War of the Realms. Remember War of the Realms? Yes. Okay, so I gave it to the crossover with War of the Realms, and it just still wasn't clicking for me. And there's guys that work better on a solo book or better on a smaller team book or better on a sci-fi or a fantasy or whatever type of book. And it just wasn't my cup of tea to have Jason Aaron writing this huge ensemble cast that seemed to be almost ever-shifting story arc to story arc. And that's fine. Just didn't work for me. And he's still on the book, you know? So, obviously, I'm in the minority on this. They wouldn't be keeping him on the book if it wasn't selling, right? I agree. But Jason Aaron with Ed McGinnis, who is one of my favorite, I would say, like, top five modern-day artists. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I love Ed McGinnis' stuff. Yeah. Going back to the Joe Kelly Deadpool run, like, the early days of that, you know? Right. I was never like, like I said, when he did the Superman Batman run and everybody just like had necks, this like that you couldn't put a collar on. Like there was just something about like his faces look as wide as a billboard and all that changed. I, I want to say like I came around on it during Aaron and his like short lived uh, X-Men run. And then I forget what McGinnis was on after that, that I was like, okay, he he's, He's gotten better to me, uh, that, but that's just a preference. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know not, I, I have a Ed McGinnis Superman and Ed McGinnis Batman posters on my wall in my office, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's just a bunch of teaser images. Of course, you got like a funky looking Alpha Flight that might have like Wolverine and Doctor Strange in it. You got 
uh, uh, Agent Coulson as the president. You've got Thanos with the Infinity Rings. <gasps> Better You've than got, stones. We're not stones, they're rings. You've mm-hmm. got uh, Reed Richards with S.H.I.E.L.D. people. Uh, you got Spider-Man stuff. You've got Dr. Juggernaut. <laughs> and you've got the Silver Witch. You know, so... Call this what you will, call it an Avengers analog, and it probably is very Avengers-esque, but it appears as though it's just going to be a miniseries. It's coming out in May. It's not like a big crossover event thing. Um, and now if this shifts and it changes to this, I'll probably change my tune, Jack. But at least with what it is right now, it looks like it's just like an Elseworldsy what-if sort of thing. I hope so, because if it's going to derail books that I like to do this, then I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, if this interrupts, like, Immortal Hulk somehow, and it's like, here's your weird issue of Immortal Hulk in this. I'm like, make it a one-off so I don't have to read it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. But I'm with you. So, um, more books from the solicitations. Uh, we, you and I, recently spoke uh, highly of the writer Ram V with his uh, Future State Swamp Thing. He's taken over the Swamp Thing book come March. Uh, you, We both read that first issue and enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, Ram V had been writing Catwoman and Justice League at DC. And he has two new books coming out, uh, indie books, coming out in April. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, one from Boom Studios, the other one from Vault Comics. Um, the Vault Comics one is entitled Radio Apocalypse. The other one is called The Many Deaths of Lalia Star. And here's where I run into a little bit of a problem with this. I love supporting a new creator that comes into my purview. And I say new to me, new to us, new to the show, whatever, right? Right. And I'm also a much bigger fan of checking out their indie stuff. You know, if... So-and-so, we talked before, you know, Jason Aaron is writing, uh, you know, Avengers and Heroes Reborn and all this other stuff. I'm the dope who's sitting here. It's like, yeah, when's the next issue of The Goddamn coming out, you know? Right. Or what was the book that he had? Uh, with, with uh, fo- Southern Bastards. Yep. You know, I, I want those to come out. And Jason Aaron always ends up being kind of the example when it comes to those sort of things. You know, from his early days at Marvel some 10 plus years ago where he was writing like a Punisher Max book and he was writing Wolverine. And in the letters column, when the Punisher book was late, it was just like, Hey, when it comes down to like, you know, deadlines, Marvel tells me we want you to finish the book that sells more copies first. Makes sense. Right. And that's why the goddamn is two months late because Avengers and heroes are born and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be getting the Swamp Thing written by Ram V, but I won't be getting these two books. Mm-hmm. Because these fall into the category of, like, I'll probably give them a look-see just to see if they could grab me. But the one thing that I can never really get into, in the rare exception, is comic books about music. And that's what these are. Um... The uh, Many Deaths of Lalia Star starts right off uh, a powerful new series for fans of the Wicked and the Divine. And the Radio Apocalypse one is a mixtape for the end time, a story of resilience and the joy of music. 
because more times than not, like my musical tastes don't line up with other people's musical tastes. And if I can't get into the music that you like, it's tough for me to get into the story that you're writing around the music that I can't get into. I agree. And it's tough to do a medium about sound that has no sound. Right. And and a lot of these guys will do a thing. It's like, hey, man, I have a Spotify playlist for you to play along with this. And, you know, these are the songs and these are the feelings and this is the whatever. And that's great. And I love having that multimedia experience if you want to have that with a comic book. Um, but I don't. It's not for me. If It sounds like it's for you if you're a fan of The Wicked and the Divine. And I know there's a lot of folks that are. Um, but that book was just never for me. Right. The only time that they ever, like, I ever saw a book about music that I really enjoyed was that Gunning for Hits mini. Yep. And that was because he was like, and he even said, the writer was like, you know what? There's no way to do music well in a comic. It's just impossible. So he basically had these these uh fonts or these word they were like balloons or whatever where it'd be like if the music was really good this is like it would be like a heart monitor and this is like the way it would go and it was really good and then if it was terrible music it would go like this and you knew what the room was experiencing without experiencing the music and then it was like okay and on top of that it's more i'm going to tell you stories because he was actually a a record executive where it's like this is what goes on behind what on behind the scenes in the late 80s early 90s i'm like all fascinating beautiful idea to do it but like stuff like this yeah unless it's you know acdc and jack white comics i you know i don't know if if your tastes are going to line up with mine i totally get what you're saying right and another you know thing that this kind of relates to is i have no problem in admitting and i don't want to say that i'm like a philistine when it comes to to music but i like what i like Mm mm-hmm and most new music is strange and frightening to me. Right. And the thing is, I think out of the two of us that I might like a little more because I actually have albums of people who of like people I, I didn't hear of until the last couple of years, because I have a tendency to like when I when I'm doing something at the house, listening to Pandora on shuffle. Like, here's a couple artists. And it's like, oh, I've never heard of these people oh they're within the last eight years which is new music you know to me i'm like okay i like them and i look for them um where i think like you talk it's like anything with football or or music it's like anything after 1997 don't bother me i don't know what year i'm just making one up but you get what i'm saying yeah um but that's all you know and i'm i was just kind of torn i'm like oh new book by ram v and i'm like oh it's about music right he'll have something eventually yeah My eyes are peeled, is all I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, Last but not least, um, there was discussion last year that DC was going to not renew people that they had exclusive uh, deals with, both as writers and artists. And I would say that the biggest one that they had within the last several years uh, just came up, and that's the one that they had with Brian Michael Bendis. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Bendis, I don't think, has anything in the hopper. I know he's off Superman as of the Future State stuff. Right. And I think he's still writing Legion over at DC. 
Right, but I believe that ends at issue 12 or something like that. Right, but that's delayed. I think, it, unless I'm mistaken, that's a book that got tied up in Future State, because I think the Future State issues are being written by Bendis. Okay. And I know that you're saying that that... Um, just, to, just to give you an idea on how that's working out, I think Future State Legion came out last week. And the regular, oh no, my apologies. So Future State Legion number one and Legion number eight both come out this week. Oh, okay. Right, just to give you an idea of like how behind that book is. Gotcha. So he's at least on that for another three to four months. Uh, like I said, that's been a perennially late book. Um, so I guess the question would be is like, uh, where does Bendis go from here? Does he go back to Marvel? Does Marvel need him back? Does Marvel want him back? Well, here's the thing, though, Joe. Just because he's not exclusive doesn't mean he can't work for DC. Right, right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, after Legion, like, who knows? There might be some sort of new thing. But the fact that he's no longer exclusive there kind of does open up some doors for him. Yeah, I think he might be done at DC and for no other reason than it always comes back to. Obviously, his Superman and action didn't light the world on fire. You know what I mean? Like that that did not go the way that they thought it was going to go. But he's he was obviously an upper tier, you know, creator sure. with with a paycheck that's higher and like that whole AT&T merger, man, like that that was the death knell for anybody who's on the payroll that's, you know, exclusive or high high page rate or whatever. And I think to keep him around He's too, he's, his paycheck's too big. So that's why I think he's going to leave. And I don't think Marvel's going to want him back because, I mean, I think Marvel will take everybody back eventually because there comes a point where it's like, hey, yeah, it's nostalgia. But I think he's going to be like, you know what? It's time for me to go try Goldfish again or Torso. Go do my own thing. It's not like he doesn't have the clout to go to Image and just, you know, put out whatever he wants the way Brubaker does. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's where I think I think he's gonna go to to some maybe not image maybe like try to bolster a smaller tier independent company like maybe like a boom or a uh, a dynamite or well not dynamite because they're more properties but I think boom would more likely be a landing spot for him. I'm thinking he maybe goes more the route of Brubaker, maybe like a mix of Brubaker and Palmiotti where he just goes kind of like maybe self-published, does something like every quarter, every four to six months, mm -hmm. and just goes to like Kickstarters or things like that, or sells directly to uh, the consumer as opposed to going through any sort of one publisher. Like yeah. he may not be a big enough name to curry that guaranteed money that he might have been getting through Warner two years ago. Or to come and get a contract close to what he was getting at Marvel at the height of his powers. So, like, why cut them in on what cachet his, his name may still have? Like, just keep all that money yourself. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that could happen. But I think it all comes down to how much he liked or disliked self-publishing in any way, shape, or form. Like, because he was ahead of the curve on that. Like, doing Torso and doing Goldfish. But it's like... Do I want the hassle 
of like doing like what like Jimmy Palmiotti has to put a lot of work into what he does. He's like a lot of legwork where it's just like, ah, I just want to find a place that it's like I write it or drop people forget that Bendis drew drew his stuff for a little bit or just goes I get an artist and I write it and then they just hand it off because there is something to be said for the path of easiest resistance the path mm. of least resistance yes so we'll see we shall see but yeah it's you know big news I'd say huh mm-hmm mm-hmm so that's what we got in news this week uh of course be sure to check out uh, the show post that goes up with every episode. That's where you're going to find all sorts of information about what we're doing here. Uh, and at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com, where all the shows in the network, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, or Wednesday Night War. Anytime any of those shows go up, they can be found there. Or anytime any of the folks on those shows appear on other shows, they can be found there as well. We don't really do like the podcast friend adjacent uh, sort of thing. We ain't got time for that here. (laughs) But, you know, if you follow me every day on Twitter, I put out the podcast that I'm listening to or will eventually listen to. I'm very behind on podcasts. That's why there hasn't been like a Rob Recaps in like a week. Oh, Let's no. say I'm going on a Rob survey, Rob Suree caps vacation. Oh. Altog- like imagine I said that all together as one word. Mm-hmm. And you said it well. I'll imagine that too. Yes. Um, also friends of ours uh, that are doing stuff outside of the podcasting world, but still comic book related. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. Those are both still available on Comicsology. Rick Williams' Chop Shop, where he does all those cool resin fe- figures and statuettes. That is linked up there. Our local comic book shop, Comics on the Green. They do a bang up job when it comes to their stock, letting you know what's going on. Having a poll list, if you don't have a local comic book store in your area, let Comics on the Green be your comic shop, sending all of your books to your home. And actually doing it this way kind of forces you to actually pay for it, so you're not one of the people that come into the store and maybe don't pick up your books all the time. Mm-hmm. I see I see other retailers, the few retailers that I follow, and our retailer kind of talking and tweeting about that sort of thing. And I tell you, man... <laughs> If you're if you're the type of person that has a pull list and then stops coming to get your books and listen, I understand that we're in the midst of a pandemic. I understand everyone has problems, but a lot of it happens far too much for it to be happening to everyone, you know? Right. All you have to do is just say, stop me on my books. Yeah. And I mean, pick up what you did. Like, you know, gentlemen's agreement. You ordered those books. Go get them, you know? Yeah. But I can't even fathom. I just I anyway. I sweat when I have like a week's worth of books waiting for like a week past, you know? Why do you think I hit every week like clockwork, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you can't and I never leave anything in the shop. Granted, say like, you know, things things I I you know, you build up, you know, goodwill where it's like, all right, I buy everything. You know what? Something happened this week, that hard that big expensive hardcover that I ordered. Can you give me two or three weeks to pay for it? You know what I mean? But you're st- I'm still picking up my weekly book, so Oh, these kids today. <laughs> and our friend Becky uh, is doing a lot of art as well. You could find it on her Instagram mostly. She does put a lot of the processy stuff up on her Twitter account. I always forget to uh, 
quote tweet her stuff tagging Todd's art attack. I forget to do a lot of things, Todd. Well, she just hates Todd's art attack, apparently. So, but yeah, you do what you got to do. Right. Uh, but all the links to that will be in the show notes that accompany every episode, along with uh, the digital sales that are going on this week. Maybe you're not a print comic book person. Uh, you kind of want to wait for stuff to go on sale. And there's a boatload of sales going on as we speak. Uh, Archie is having a sale on Riverdale-related stuff, the Riverdale TV show. Uh, Titan is having stuff uh, on sale for Tank Girl-related. DC is having a sale that's just called the DC Deluxe Sale. I don't know what it means. It looks like it's just a bunch of random trade paperbacks with no real rhyme or reason. <laughs> uh I saw that Dark Knight Returns is in there, but Batman Year One is not. I was supposed to be keeping track of that uh, for the calendar year 2021. Yet another thing that I've dropped the ball on already this early into 2021. Mm, yes. Well, you need a place to mark it down on the calendar of what was on it. So, Right. There's just not enough room. Right. Uh, DC, or Dark Horse having a crime uh, book sale. Dynamite is having sales on Vampirella and fantasy-related stuff. Marvel is having sales on X-Force-related stuff. Stuff written by Chip Zdarsky and Hawkeye stuff. And this is why I saved this to the end, because <laughs> you can get the Matt Fraction David Aha run of Hawkeye as part of the sale for 18 bucks. Wow, that's pretty good. Get the first appearance of Pizza Dog. <laughs> And what does that end up being? That ends up being 22 issues, I think. Um, this is one of those ones where, like, the the trades print them in the reading order, not in the release order. You know how I feel about these sort of things. No, I, I've never heard you say anything, Joe. <laughs> it's 22 issues for eight, a little under 18 bucks digitally. And this is one of those ones where I have print, I got digital, I probably have the trades, and I definitely have the hardcovers of this one. Uh, this is one of the best comic book series uh, in recent years. You'd be foolish not to read it. Right. Joe, how do you feel about comics that don't end and then are never finished, and then they put the trade out with it all, with the, the last couple issues in one, in that? Does that, does that? does that make you feel good? No, it makes me feel bad, Todd. It oh, makes me feel okay. very bad. Okay. Uh, so let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Okay. And let's start with, uh, the book that we were both most looking forward to coming out this week, which was King in Black number three, uh, written by Donnie Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that's more distracting to me now with the story that we've done here over the last two or three months when I read King in Black. And I'm like, ooh, somebody gets to own these pages already. They already have a down payment, essentially, on them. <laughs> That's right. They're going to be in a museum soon. Yes. Uh, so this uh, issue, we have a narrator who is coming in at the end to help save things. Um, but the majority of this is Null coming face-to-face -face with uh, Eddie Brock's son, who apparently has the power to be able to take things down. Uh, with Null and all of his dragons and his demons, and he gets an assist, the son does, from Thor. Uh, Thor, who when Donnie K or Jason Aaron was writing Thor, there's threads of this storyline that go all the way back to the Jason Aaron run. 
right. of this. So it's all kind of, and then like Donny Cates picked it up when he took over Venom. Donny Cates took it over when he picked up Thor. So like all that stuff that's been building in Thor, God of Thunder for the last nine to 10 years is, you know, <laughs> kind of coming to a head here in King and Black. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, this is a, a great book. I love this because, like you said, Dylan, who seems to have the ability to control, like, or to remove symbiotes from people, and he's none too happy about this the situation where his father's in because apparently he's uh, from being pushed off the building by Null. He's passed away, so uh, he's like he just wants to hurt somebody. And the kid going out there. And just like ripping symbiotes off like various superheroes and like let's take it to null. Like I thought that was very cool. It's like a let's let's do this kind of a, a moment. And I like that. And I do like the way, you know, when Thor shows up, uh, how he is, because uh, I, I for, like I literally forgot that Cates was writing Thor at the same time. And I'm yes. like, wow, he he gets he gets Thor. He's a remarkably good Thor writer. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. He's writing, he's been writing Thor for the last nine, ten issues or whatever. And it's just perfect. Like when when Thor shows up and he's all like the best way to put it is Thor is Thor-like in this issue. And he's just like, yeah, like you, you call yourself this and you call yourself like, let's go. Like, let's, let's have this. And I'm like, this is really cool. And then, like you said, what happens at the end, it, it all feels big because Donny Cates has made it all big and, yes. and work, not just like, Oh, I'm going to slap dash all the stuff that I did together because I did it. And I'll, I'll, I'll figure the moving parts out later. I feel this, whether he had it or not looks, makes me think he had a blueprint from the beginning. And that's a good thing. And it's like a lot, it's, it's, it was a lot faster than Jason Aaron's like blueprint for Thor. Like you said, eight, nine years, cause this is going to be shorter. And he's already talked about leaving Venom at like the milestone number of 300, whatever issue that's going to be. So I'm like, Oh, like, we're close. We're we're closing in on the end of Donny Cates's symbiote run, as far as I'm concerned. Right, and that's another thing. Of course, um, it was teased last week. We have the uh, April solicitations out, and the April issue of Venom that comes out is Donny Cates' last issue on Venom. Right. So you know, the, more or less, that's going to kiss right up against the end of King in Black. I'm sure that last issue of Venom, I think, I don't think, I, I think it ends up being like issue 53 or something, three, but it actually ends up being the 200th chronological issue of Venom if you count all the miniseries. Is 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 um, legacy numbering, legacy numbering. Right, issue and I do like. I was saying 300, but it's 200. Okay, but I do like when you get a 200 legacy right after a 50. So that way they can bang you with like a six ninety nine book. And then like a, like a nine ninety nine book. Marvel knows what they're doing, man. They're no dummies. They, uh, they know how to make a, they know how to make a buck. Right. Right. But yeah, this was good. There was a lot of really cool images in here. You said about, um, the kid and I forget the kid's name. You said before Dylan, Dylan. um, the, the scene where he like stops cap shield, Mm-hmm. When symbiote cap throws it at it, that was a real cool image. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of really cool visuals in this. And again, to reiterate what Todd has said, uh, everything that Donny Cates has touched in the Marvel universe is all coming together in this story arc, you know, and it doesn't feel forced. It feels mm-hmm. like there was a plan. It feels like there was a blueprint. And I would say that's gutsy. That was a huge move on Donny Cates's part. 
to come in and say, okay, I'm going to do this book. But eventually, I'm going to be able to pitch something. And I can say, hey, this other book and this book and this book and this book, it all ties into this now. Right. Because even if he never got a chance to do King in Black, and let's say the Venom thing never blew up the way that it is, those other books that he wrote at Marvel stand on their own. Yep. And then on top of that, like, who knows down the line, like, I don't think he's close to leaving Thor. It could all come back there again, too. Yep. You know what I mean? So, like, I think he has even a grander scheme in all this because I, I do think we need a big company-wide crossover with whatever he's doing. Like, this kind of is, but I feel like they're going to get, like, there's going to be one last big big one where they dig up an old you know event name and they slap it on so donny cates can do it like a like a civil war seven or something like that yeah but yeah good stuff or maybe that'll be acts of vengeance Ooh, that's what we need so as i sit here and we talk about it we joke about it we say about acts of vengeance i think the reason that acts of vengeance couldn't work in today's day and age mm-hmm. is because everyone's villains are all flip-flopped around anyway. Yeah. Always borrowed. And there's so like, there's sometimes Marvel has a little trouble with continuity. Mm-hmm. So like your, your absorbing man over here may not be your absorbing man over there. Yeah. So, and in 1987 or 1989, whenever acts of vengeance came out, It'd be novel when Baron Zemo shows up to attack Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. In 2021, that's, you know, that's that's February. <laughs> right. You know, it just, I don't know. I, I, I think there's, if there's one last thing for Marvel to squeeze the, 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 the turnip dry from its acts of vengeance. I don't know. I think, you know... I think we need a few more infinities because that was where the money was. But I know what you're saying about, yeah. uh, you know, Acts of Vengeance because that seems like the one that's uh, below everybody's radar, you know? Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, so the other book that we both read from this past week was Maestro War and Pax, written by Peter David, uh, with art by Javier Pena. Uh, continuation of the previous Maestro story arc, kind of leading us up to that Hulk future and perfect storyline from the 90s, mm-hmm. where smart Hulk of that day goes to this time to battle his alternate timeline self, who's become this mad despot. This is just more of the Maestro taking down um, any sort of resistance that's out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it be a small band of freedom fighters, if you will, uh, in you know the Connecticut area, or a group led by Machine Man in Washington D.C., mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter. It, this is just a continuation of that storyline. We like that storyline. I like where this is going. Um, yep. I I like that we got the Pantheon showing up in this. That was interesting. Yeah, because that was from the past. Yep, that was hardcore, like, around the time of Future Imperfect, man. Yep. Um, My take on it is is I almost feel like reading issue one of this after reading the the original miniseries of The Maestro, that it's an idea that Peter David had, like anything 
that he was doing like with Spider-Man 2099 in the past couple of years or X-Factor or whatever is that that was an ongoing and Marvel kind of nixed it but gave him he's like all right we won't give you an ongoing but we're going to give you like 30 minis um because this this doesn't like this literally slides right out of the end of the miniseries and goes back so I just feel like this was an ongoing idea that they just broke up into, into little mini series. And uh, I'm just going to say, I kind of, you know, love the whole issue uh, with going on with Maestro. And then like, you just have somebody pop up to, you know, throw a monkey wrench into the works. And I'm like, all right, I'm, you know what? I, this business is picking up for Todd right here. So um, I've been enjoying it. I have too, but this is where my rant is going to come in, Todd. Right. I okay. figured we'd get to a Joe rant. So, when I do my books for the week, I look on a site that Todd has sent me, and I can't remember what the name of the site is. Uh, Go Collect, I believe. Right. Comic Go Collect. I'll find it while you're talking. Where I could look to see if there's any books that have any variant covers that I want, okay? And every company does their variant covers differently. DC, for the most part, does two covers. One is on a normal cover. The other one's on a cardstock cover. I typically don't go for the cardstock cover unless I really love the artist or I really love the art. And many times, 80% of the time, even the day before you go pick up your books, you can see online what all the variant covers are. Um, a lot of other companies for their bigger books, like Boom, with uh, We Only Find Them When They're Dead, or Seven Secrets, stuff that I get, they do two covers, maybe sometimes three. They're mm -hmm. practically indistinguishable from each other. So I'm good to go with any of the covers, right? Right. Uh, Image, sometimes they'll do the different covers. Again, rarely, like I know they did uh, with Crossover. There was the normal cover, then there was the cover that had Spawn on it. I'm like, I'll take the cover that has Spawn on it, just because, like, you know, it's Spawn, right? Mm. Let's have some fun. <laughs> uh, Image, also with uh, Department of Truth, just for, like, a sake of continuity... Uh, I was leaning toward getting the variant covers that had the woman in red with the X'd out eyes on them. Right. However, this month, there's four covers for Department of Truth and two issues that have her on the cover. Get them both. Okay. Two. <laughs> so I, I'm not... I, I'm not the type of person that gets multiples of the same issue just to get different covers. Unless it's an artist that I really like. We're coming mm -hmm. to this. We're coming to this. Um, like if one of the Department of Truth covers was like Ed McGinnis or Scott Collins or someone like that. I'm like, OK, I'm getting both. You know, I'm getting the Scott Collins cover of Department of Truth. It would never happen. But that's the one I'm getting. Plus the woman in red with the eyes X'd out. OK, right. As we mentioned before about Marvel um, liking to make money, they <laughs> typically do multiple covers for all of their books. Right. You get your first cover. You get your second cover. Every month there's a theme cover. Like this month's theme is Aliens versus your favorite Marvel character cover. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the theme of King and Black stuff. Whether the book crosses over with King and Black, you're getting a King and Black cover. Then on second and third prints of stuff, or even just randomly, you'll get the process cover, where you'll kind of get like a sketch kind of sort of thing of like the process of a new character or a new design or a new something, right? Right. Um, then something big like King in Black, you'll get some other 
variant covers by maybe different creator or maybe like there's a, a cover that has the tattoo scheme that they've been doing with a lot of the issues then you're going to get one that has the dragons on it and they're all the dragon covers by the main artist right mm-hmm. then you're going to get like the black and white sketch cover and all these other different things for king and black they've had covers every month three months in that very clearly say spoiler cover And then there's no image for it. It just says spoiler, right? Right. And between me and you, Todd, these spoiler covers ain't the spoilers they're advertising. But that's okay. Like, if I showed you the main cover of King and Black number three and the spoiler cover in King and Black three, you would say there's very little difference between these two covers. Okay. Okay. Which is fine. It's no big deal. And if I could keep a scheme with a cover, I'd like to keep the scheme with the cover. Um, You know, we talked recently on Immortal Hulk where Todd has leaned more toward the Alex Ross covers just for that sort of thing, where I have leaned toward the um, Joe Bennett covers, right? Mm -hmm. Just because Joe Bennett's the interior artist, I really like his stuff, and I like what he's doing with the covers. Now let's get to Maestro, Todd. Okay. Okay. And this is where I ran in. So uh, Maestro had, and I'm doing my gazintas here. I apologize. Maestro one had six covers. Now you mean Maestro Warren Packs? Just so we're on the Maestro same Warren Packs had six covers. Okay. You had a Dale Keown cover. You had a Ryan Stegman cover. You had an Ed McGinnis cover. <gasps> I like Ed McGinnis. <laughs> you had a Joe Bennett cover. I like Joe Bennett. And you had a Scotty Young cover. Ooh. I like Scotty Young. Now, when you go to these sites, shows you the Dale Keown cover, shows you the Ryan Stegman cover, shows you the Ed McGinnis cover, shows you the Joe Bennett cover, and it shows you the co- Scotty Young cover. Scotty Young cover just is nothing. There's no image. Nowhere in this, like the other covers say, that it's a spoiler. Todd. The Scotty Young cover is a spoiler for what happens at the end of this issue. Ah, okay. So I got spoiled. So you were very happy. Huh? So you were very happy. Well, I was happy, but I was like, you know what I'm I'm looking at the cover. I'm like, I know how this book ends now. Uh, That was sarcasm, Joe. But yeah. But it's a real nice cover. I could show it to you. Oh, you you could show. Why do you have it? uh... It's right at my fingertips. Oh, give me one second. I got to bring up the thingy. I'm like uh, doing the, the computer. Yeah, I could see if you're going to put it up now. But uh, um, yeah, I get you. That's why I pretty much I think I've been over the, the fact. I can, I can see now. There you go. Oh, that's no good. Yeah, but that could just be a rib, a joke. Uh-huh. Does it have the spoiler tag, though? Like spoiler cover? Do they have them on there somewhere? No. I mean, even when they're regular, the spoiler, like, you know, when you, you see the solicit and it says spoiler cover, you know what I mean? Right. So that's the thing. The, 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 the King and Black ones, it says spoiler cover. Mm-hmm. And then like the image, it's a black cover that says spoiler across the front. Okay. Whereas this, like it's specific, like the solicitation specifically reads like King and Black, regular Ryan Stegman cover, King and Black, Francis Leno U cover. King in Black, uh, you know, Valerio Giordano Marvel vs. Alien cover. 
uh, King in Black tattoo cover. And then it specifically says, King in Black, Ken Lashley spoiler cover. Okay. Nowhere in the Maestro one for the Scotty Young variant does it say Scotty Young spoiler variant cover. Now, was the Scotty variant like an expensive one? Not an expensive one, but more? No. I figured because you bought it. You know what I mean? And that's so that's the thing. The Joe Bennett one was more. But Joe Bennett's not this Hulk artist, if that makes any sense. No, I get you. And I like the Ed McGinnis cover. But if you're putting a gun to my head and saying Ed McGinnis or Scotty Young, I'm going to go Scotty Young. Every time? Not every time, most of the time. But yeah, so that's kind of the... What saves me is I think we've been down this road before is the way my cover logic works that I don't get that deep into the bench unless it's somebody like and I see why you did it like if the if that if cover E which is the unmarked spoiler cover was a Kevin Maguire Maestro cover I probably would have looked at it so I can't really say anything but mostly I stick to at Marvel whatever the cover A's are. And I even do that into image and stuff like that. It's like when you have multiple covers at an image or an independent book, it's like, who's doing the interior? Because I'm a stickler for the old days where the interior artist is the cover artist. So it's really weird. But man, just to, because that reveal at the end of Maestro was really cool. And I like, and it would make me sad if what happened to you happened to me, but it wasn't me. So (laughs) I'm okay. I just wanted to share my story. You just want to just share your pain. What about me? What about Joe, right? Right. (laughs) All right. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them in trade, whether you wait for them to go on to some sort of digital sale, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, It's currently tied up at three apiece. And if there was ever a time for things to get wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, this could be the week. Because this, both of our lists are kind of like a crapshoot, right? Right. So I am going to take, well, you know what? This is, um, uh, I could do my own homework, but at least for the state of the show, I will ask Todd. Right. Who is writing Future State Suicide Squad number one? I have no idea. Okay. With that information, I'm going to say the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week would be Future State Superman vs. Imperious Lex number one. That is the book because that is the non Mark Russell, the non political musician, uh, satirist, the writer of Mark Russell is actually writing. Future State Superman versus Imperious Lack. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, looking over your list, and also I want to say that that site that we were that that you at I gave to you for varying covers is called Go Collect with uh, Comic Lists List subsection. So if anybody wants to find that, um, is the book you're looking forward to most also Future State Superman versus Imperious Lex? It is okay. Uh, could have it could have been Department of Truth number five. Could have been Daredevil twenty six. That that's coming back uh, off of their big reveal from the other. It feels as though there's been a lot of time in between Daredevil's twenty five and twenty six. 
Uh, I wouldn't know, so right. I'll take your word for it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Superman Imperi- uh, versus Imperious Lex number one. Uh, uh, Mark Russell was actually on one of my uh, favorite comic book podcasts, Word Balloon, this week. And mm-hmm. I downloaded it. It just came out today. I didn't get a chance to download it because it came out after my tweet goes out. But I have it sitting, waiting to listen to after I read the issue because I don't want no spoilers. Right, where he's like, well, but maybe hopefully they'll have a cover just for you, Joe. No, the future states don't have no set. Like, it's the regular cover and the cardstock cover, and I'm getting the regular cover. Uh, I, You know what? I'm going to get to the store early tomorrow, read it, and have Becky draw you a spoiler cover. <sighs> just they- draw something spoilery on the cover of the Joes. <laughs> Lex is bad. Oh, I didn't know that was going to oh, happen no. in this issue. Superman's the goody. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, you can also follow along with us as we have reopened up Todd and Joe Have Issues for 2021. We are into week three of me reading Jonah Hex and Todd reading the Spider Clone Saga. Mm. Uh, I was only assigned one issue of Jonah Hex and the way that things kind of work themselves out. Um, so we're only five issues in, and I like the idea of having the different cover artist for every issue. Right. But, but I was getting... Oh, go ahead. They were all, they've all been the same cover artist for every issue. Oh, they have been. I'm sorry. It feels as though they've been like different covers. I'm pretty sure they've all been Luke Ross covers right now, but no, I could be not, wrong. Okay, so... No, no. As the Jonah Hex authority of the show. Right. Frank Quite like every cover is a different artist. That's right. Frank Quietly kicked Frank off. Frank Quietly was number one. Um, I can't tell who number but like every issue's been a different cover artist, right? Right. Uh this one is Tim Bradstreet, who like you'd know for like Punisher stuff, right? Right. But the artist on this issue is Tony DiZanuga. And I was getting used to Luke Ross's art already four issues in. Mm-hmm. So Tony DiZanuga's art was a drastic uh, change. Okay. And I say Tony DiZanuga, just so you know. DiZanuga, DiZanuga, you know. I gotcha. I just thought you might yep. like to, but go ahead. So I'm surprised you're not more upset that this doesn't have, at least on the cover, a more Christmas theme since this is a Jonah Hex Christmas issue. Yes, it is. Okay. So this is an uh, issue, and again, I feel bad because we're already five issues in, and I want to say that they're starting to run together a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this so far feels. I last week I talked about like, oh man, it feels like it's the same story, just kind of being told a little bit different. Where this right. one didn't feel like as different as the previous issues. Okay. Um. The fact that they were harping so much on, like, the specific date and the specific year in this one maybe <laughs> telegraphed how this was going to end. Right. Uh, just a little bit in the fact that while Jonah was attempting to bring someone to justice, um, there were a group of banditos that were there to try to get the bounty from Jonah. The people that they were holed up with uh, had guns but were kind of unwilling to use them and assist Jonah. And that kind of resulted in Jonah losing his bounty, but kind of saying, you're going to get yours, you know? Right. And Jonah, uh, someone, a man after my own heart, not just in the looks department, but someone who holds a grudge for a very long time, 
And I think a lot of the gunfights in this, and there's a lot of gunfights, they're not as dynamic as the Luke Ross ones. Right. If that makes any sense. No, I'm I'm with you. We're gonna do, when you're done, I'm gonna discuss Tony. You know what I mean? But I get what you're saying. Yeah. And essentially what happens is Jonah ends up getting his comeuppance against these banditos some ten years later to the date on Christmas Day. Right. Spoilers, everyone, for a book right. that's <laughs> fifteen years old. Yep. It was good, but I could like this one just felt like maybe it was because of the artist. I'm not into that, you know, I fell out of the, the groove of Luke Ross's art. Um, yeah, that's this one was just okay. Okay, I'm with you. Now, you're going to get two more issues of Luke Ross, and that's kind of why I this became the singular issue in here, because I feel that this that Luke Ross was supposed to do the first six issues, and he does one, two, three, four... Uh, six and seven, and that moves moves them around in trades and stuff like that. But I, I, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, I'll save the two Luke Rosses for 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 next week, and that kind of makes everything like. And you're gonna see now, and then that's the end of Luke Ross, man. So then it's gonna be different artists over over time, whatever. But I really like this issue a lot. One for like some of the the dialogue, and I tweeted the quote like when he says like he's like they're like you know, come out or, or we're going to do this. We can, we can discuss this. And he's like, Nope, Nope. I ain't going to barter or negotiate. All, all conversation is going to be uh, handled with bullets from here on out. And I'm like, that to me is like the Westerny stuff that I love. And I think that sets a lot of Western stuff uh, apart from other genres is the, just the totally toxic masculinity. I'm fine with that. And the, the, the cool dialogue of that one, that, that one liner that you're going to give, that's just too cool for words. And there it is. But uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoy this issue, but I, but the reason I love this issue is because I'm a sucker for Tony DiZaniga. He's the guy who created Joan X. He's half the creator. John Albino, uh, I think is Albino. I'm not sure how to say his name is, was the writer, but I just love his artwork. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the definitive Jonah Hex artist, because I will always equate like reading his stuff with it. He only did like 16 issues uh, of the original run and, and some of this or whatever, uh, some of uh, the Jimmy Palmiotti run, but seeing it is just, I'm such a fan, but at this point in his career, he's 75 years old when he draws it. So I do believe he's lost a step, but even then I, I love the grittiness of the art. Um, like, especially the, 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 picture you use for the post on the site where he's looking out the window and he's just has like that look with the gritty eyeball and everything. I'm like, I love it, but I can understand how some people coming off of Luke Ross and also not appreciating a young Tony's artworks, uh, wouldn't get it if you know what I mean, but I'm a sucker for, for, for Tony's stuff. So as a matter of fact, I'm mad that I missed pay like page. I would have bought pages from this cause I really like it. Sorry, I didn't care as much for the art and the story as the last couple. Yeah, like I said, it was just it was just okay. Okay. So, anything else about that, or no? Okay, we're ready to go into uh, <laughs> the Clone Saga stuff. Yes, sir. I so, would like to go ahead. Go, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and start. So, right. 
So Joe gave me two issues to, to read um, and and typical fashion of Joe giving me stuff to read. As far as I, I Kurt Busick doesn't say so, but Todd says so, gave me in the wrong order. I'm going to say that. Oh. I know why you I know why you did it, but it would have been much better to do it the other way. Um, so he started me out with uh, Spider-Man Unlimited number seven. Is that the, the official name? Yeah, because it was the release issue, but go ahead. Right. So this one starts out, it's, it's you know, uh, basically the bits of where Aunt May's in, in the hospital and P, uh, Ben Riley's talking to him, talking to her in a coma. And we get a lot of, uh, you know, my memories are false. I know they're not mine, but I still love you. Which at this point, after four issues of it, it's starting to wear thin a little bit. Um, I get why they did it because it's a one shot in the, in the Spider-Man unlimited book, but I'm like, okay, we, we, we can move on. But he's like, am I a real person? Am I invisible? Am I this, that, and the other thing? Am I, you know, not a human person? And I get, it. I'm like, okay, that works out for the theme of the story because we get to this other person, Rich Gannon, the quarterback for the Oakland Raiders in the two thousands. Um, that was his name. I found that funny. I'm like, is that, you know, it was that at the time was he playing and somebody was a football fan, but either way, he's a, a person who's down on his luck, who's, who, who's got a degree and he's lost his job and he feels that people just ignoring him and looking down on him. He's invisible. So you see the, the two parallels in the end, Ben Riley ends up helping him because he's getting beaten up by some street toughs and, uh, he ends up putting on the the Ben Riley costume because I'm like Ben Riley's just been carrying a Spider-Man turtleneck around or a blue spider turtleneck for years apparently as Ben Riley. Um and he puts that on with the, the thing. But I never noticed he had pouches on his ankles. That's the one thing of seeing the Ben Riley. I thought this Ben Riley Sp- uh, Scarlet Spider costume was okay over the years. That was never, you know, wasn't a fan the way you guys were, never read it. But I, I, that's the first thing I noticed. Like, oh, he's got he's got pouches on his ankles. I, I, I never noticed that. And in the end, he ends up going, you know what? I'm I'm a person, and I think I'm gonna do some. You know, I'm not invisible. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick around and maybe do some stuff in New York. And I'm like, okay. But reading this at, before the next issue. Uh, some stuff just like I'm like doesn't make sense to me. Like why he had this Scarlet Spider costume ready when he was t- talking about like I've given up the life because that's Peter's life for three four issues and some of this issue actually. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But so that's basically I like this issue. I thought the art was all over the place because it was Ron Ron Lim. Uh, what do you want to say? Like layouts. And then people came out like two different artists did, did the finishes, not a strong visual book, but you know, it's an okay story. Anything on that? You have to, no, we gotta, we gotta wait until everything's done. You know what I mean? Okay. No problem. Um, now the second uh, issue is what would actually be the name of it. I have it written down here. Uh, Web of Spider-Man 118. Um, this issue just visually, I'll get right into the, I, I, I really, really liked uh, Bob McCloud's artwork compared to the last issue. Like, I have a feeling this is going to be a lot of hit and miss the way you are with Luke Ross and Tony DiZaniga with these books all over the place and crossing in. We're not going to have, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, the same artist every month because it goes from one book to another. But I really like Bob McCloud's art on this, especially compared to reading Spider-Man Unlimited. 
Um, and it even says on the co- even on the front of the cover, it completely lies to me. And it says the clone's first solo story, but that was Spider-Man Unlimited number seven. So lies, lies, lies. But uh, basically, it was in a dynamic new costume, right? But he's just used in Spider-Man Unlimited. Ugh. But uh, so he's at the uh, Museum of, of uh, Natural History, seeing stuff, and that's where we see the blue the blue turtleneck or whatever it is sweatshirt. And I'm like, okay, he, he sees it here and he ends up having the same thoughts. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. That Peter's the one lives, whatever. And he goes around doing stuff that the memories that Peter has, because he sees Betty Brant at the hospital and he goes like to a bridge, the bridge that Gwen was thrown off of. He ends up, uh, you know, having, having memories. And then he ends up seeing, someone jumping off and he saves her and all right this i really did like because even an, a spider idiot like myself knows the whole great scene with gwen falling off the bridge where he's like nope this time i have to do it right i have to figure out all the math so i don't hurt her blah 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 that was really cool takes her to the hospital while that's going on there's a subplot with venom's back in town and there's gonna be some questions here um venom's back in new york because he's been out of town um because he's come back to kill Carnage apparently because Carnage got released during the big uh, prison or insane asylum Ravencroft release. That's I'm pretty sure. So he's doing it and he's having these memory things because you know it rhymes and he's going to the places that he remembers and he goes to the church that spawned him pretty much that the symbiote attached to him. Now this is the one thing that I was a little confused on. Um, there's somebody following him, right? Like in the church is like oh because I thought that was. Ben at one point, but it wasn't. There's somebody in a suit like, like, oh, we're just, whatever. So in the end, uh, Peter ends up hearing that Venom's in town. And he's like, why isn't Peter ever taking him down? I'm going to put on the costume and I'm going to take Venom down the way Peter couldn't. And now I'm around for good. I'm staying in New York. Um, I really like this issue a lot better. Um, And I like the whole Venom thing. But where are we? in venom's life now is he the good guy who's killing bad people or yes. like, okay because i get confused like venom has like too much stuff going on so it was a round issue and again please forgive me again with these spider-man issues um it would have been around issue 375 of amazing spider-man and we had recently just read 394 i think yes or 393 or 394 but something like okay that. So it was around 375, so let's say almost like a year and a half prior, is where Venom essentially becomes like a tweener man. Him and Spider-Man come to an agreement where he becomes the lethal protector and the miniseries of Venom begin. Mm -hmm. He had established base in San Francisco and now is back in New York after I'd say like two or three miniseries of him being a bad guy do-gooder. Okay. The anti the 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 part where and again just to kind of fill in like some of the small pieces of stuff that you had said. So the um person who's at the church when Venom goes back there Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like, Yeah, this is where it all happened for me, sort of thing. This is just a random reporter who happened to stumble upon Venom because he like he's not named yet. He just says, oh, you know, I was hoping to get a lead on Brock by coming to some of his old haunts. 
but it looks like I've gotten more than I bargained for. Right, I got a little too close too fast. Right, so there you go. You know, it just so happened while he's doing an investigative story on Brock or Venom or whatever it is, Venom shows back up in town after being away for X amount of issues. Right, and that's the thing because... And I and I can kind of understand it the way it is like when you read Jonah Hex, you're like, who are these characters? Are they new or are they not? Because right. like um, Venom shows up and he's like, oh, like that whole, you know, debacle with like, you know, Carnage. I'm like, all right, I've heard of Carnage. And they're like, and this person and Shriek. And I'm like, never heard of Shriek. Like I maybe tangentially know of Shriek. So like they're, they throw out stuff. So it's like when somebody pops up, I'm like am I supposed to know who this is? Or, you know, like if you just tell me like, don't ask questions, I won't. But you know, like now you're like, okay, that's not too big of a spoiler. Like down the line, I can tell you, he's just a, a reporter. That's the kind of questions I could see me having to throughout this clone saga, because I'm not, you know, in, in down the rabbit hole of all who all these side characters are supporting characters. Right. And of course, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it was a good, it was, this was the better of the two. I like this issue a lot because I like, like, you know, like Ben coming around kind of a deal. So uh, having to read the unlimited issue, right? Mm -hmm. This is where we run into a problem because that issue got published first. Okay. Right. And even if you see there on like the first page of that issue, it says this takes place in between web of whatever and Spider-Man adjective list the todd mcfarlane one right mm -hmm. but it was published before i get that so it kind of takes the you already see this early into the spider clone saga how messed up what their plan is because this issue the web of spider-man issue 118 was supposed to be the big reveal of the new spider-man costume it's on the cover he, you know, pieces it together from the sweatshirt that he gets from the museum and he tears the sleeves off and he just draws it on with a whatever. And then on that last page, you get that hero shot of him that was already spoiled in the cover anyway. Right. Right. Whereas here it is in Spider-Man Unlimited, which is essentially just them repurposing like an annual or a quarterly. It gets ruined there even before they get a chance to ruin it in the main storyline itself. Marvel hasn't changed in in. 20 some years and it's also because that homeless guy character that gets introduced that ben helps right he comes back like way later on down the line okay like way later on back down the line and as you talk about like that reporter and again not to spoil anything else that reporter is more or less inconsequential right he's more or less like a MacGuffin to move venom to like maybe his next miniseries or something okay whereas that homeless guy becomes like one of Ben slash Peter slash one true Spider-Man's supporting cast. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the web issue I thought was really good. Just even um, obviously the slightly, it's like, oh, we're not going to kind of like really beat you over the head with all this stuff. It's like, oh, we're just going to reintroduce Betty Brandt. Mm -hmm. Here's a character that maybe hasn't been around in the Spider-Man books for a while. Uh, ben remembers her because that's like where his cutoff of his memories come from. And they kind of start trying to introduce her and some other characters as his side supporting cast. While Peter has his side supporting cast and their one link is Aunt May. Right. For another six issues. I mean. What? <laughs> well, I hope nothing happens to Aunt May. She's a um, lovable old lady who I, I just I adore Joe. 
But the main crux of this, of course, is um, Ben kind of being like, I can't believe Peter would allow Venom just to run free. Why doesn't he take him in? I know what I'll do. I'll take him in. That should go swimmingly. And right. And it goes as swimmingly because we've and that's the thing, because after this storyline, we've never heard from Venom since. So Ben Riley won that feud. That's right. <laughs> he, he, he's the David Carradine in this situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm glad you at least read Webb. I knew you weren't going to love Unlimited. But like I said, Unlimited was just in there because of the one supporting cast character and them bungling the reveal of the costume. Right, right. And I, I do like, I mean, and... <sighs> So I read that story, and it was a good story. Like, I do think if it had been the other way, I would have liked the story more. But then it was like, okay, and I'm like, well, I'm going to keep reading. And I'm like, cardiac versus, like, Spider-Man proper? I'm like, oh, my God. Cardiac's terrible. This has no, like, seems like has nothing to do with anything going on in the Clone Saga. I need to send a text immediately. (laughs) And just so you know, I was on my way to pick up my Chinese food. So that's where all that kind of takes place in the greater timeline of both you and I. Right. And you're like, no, you're good. I'm like, well, on to the next issue. There's also a Mary Jane storyline that you skip a story in there where she's watching Peter fight the boomerang on the news and is sad about it. Right. Well, I actually like kind of scrolled through. I'm like, okay, how much more of this book is there? And I'm like, look at that terrible boomerang art. Oh my God. Oh, and then it's I got the, the Fred Myers we know and love today. No, and then I got the stay of execution in text format. <laughs> so, but yeah, there you go. I don't think that sort of thing happens much more often. I think from here on out, uh, anything and everything that I have you read is more or less canonical, but like I said, and in the correct reading order because there's numbers on the covers and stuff. Right, and then now um, I know there's a Spider-Man Unlimited, like, two more issues in this run, I think. Yeah, uh, but that so is like have to give part, me... that Unlimited is like a part five of five. Right, you'll have to give me the Iggy on if it's the whole issue or not. I think I could say safely without getting too, fu- you know, getting too far onto it, um, that it's probably just the main story. Okay. Unless we right. get there and you're like, oh, the two mini stories also tie in, but you never know. So we'll see. Yeah, but that one is a part five of five. It's like the continuation of a, a, a of an actual proper story arc. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think. Let me look. That's that one. We're talking about it, so I got to look, you know? You do. I love the way I get you to just go off on a tangent. Yeah, so both of them, like, the the, 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 the 9 that you have to read is a part 5 of 5, and the 10 is a part 4 of 4. So it's like they kind of figure things out <laughs> six months into the arc. Ah, good. Good to know. They finally get on the ball. <laughs> yep. Can't wait to find out how the Clone Saga ends. I only have, like, 11 more months. <laughs> All right, Which so it's next So next week, uh, I am going to be reading... I just had it here in front of me, so I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I will be reading uh, Jonah Hex issues 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. 
And Todd will be reading, again, to make things more confusing, uh, Spider-Man 52 and Web of Spider-Man 119. Right. New 52 Spider-Man. Not yet. Not for another couple months. Mm -hmm. Uh, So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out everything else that we have going on over there. If you click on a little link there that says store, you could purchase shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. If you want even more fancier items with even more fancier things inspired by this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, you can head over to our T Public store where this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, everything is 35% off. So I say indulge, 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 especially if payday is coming up. Go nuts. Uh, if you want to even go more nuts and have more audio entertainment, Sign up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you two bonus shows from Todd and I previewing the past, which is us looking back 30 years ago at the previous catalog from the month in question as we are starting to ramp up to the bubble starting to blow in the world of comicdom (laughs) and the six never-before-seen movies. Just this past week, uh, I assigned to Todd the 1990 blockbuster film Dick Tracy and uh, next week we'll reveal what movie he's assigned to me at the $5 and up level you get those bonus shows two weeks before everyone else and you get after dark a couple days before everyone else so like I said if you got extra time in your life and you need some more podcasts and you're enjoying what Todd and I do we implore you to sign up there Mm -hmm. another way that you could help us out and I'm going to tread lightly (laughs) is by clicking the Amazon banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. We, as an affiliate of Amazon, uh, we get an advertising fee for directing you to their website. Uh, We are not uh, in any way, shape, or form um, responsible for any of the items or returns or otherwise of the things that you purchase through there. But they do pay us an advertising fee, and they, you know, that's what they call it. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of said advertising fee. Here's hoping. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click through this past <laughs> week include uh, right. somebody purchased two uh, containers of Purex liquid liquid laundry detergent. Um, specifically citing that this is uh, unscented. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of unscented laundry detergent. Right. Just like you like your uh, shaved ice, right? Correct. Un- no, unflavored uh, ice milk. Excuse me. Ice milk. I'm sorry. Unflavored. You your your green. I'm going with unflavored. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. <laughs> Somebody purchased an Elite Force Umarex um, Airsoft um, BB gun. Ooh. And I would just say there's a lot less um, orange on this BB gun and a lot more black on this BB gun. Right. So, I don't know. Just be careful out there. Yep. Uh, somebody also purchased both the Deluxe Digital and the 2CD edition of the David Bowie Legacy Collection that just came out recently. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and somebody also purchased a White Fang brand Deluxe Extra Large pop-up beach tent uh, for three to four people. 
Now, I, I will have you know from my own personal uh, experience with tents, when they say three to four people, they mean like three to four, like, small children. They mean three to four slender reeds? Yes. Okay. I think we had to upgrade to the five to six person tent so I could fit my sizable carriage in there comfortably with my family. <laughs> Do you have any uh, portable shanties? Oh, let's just get a tool shed and walk around with that instead. There you go. There you go. Uh, so thank you to anyone and everyone who purchased through the Amazon click-through. Uh, more on that as it develops, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, so, hey, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did. Rebecca art sent in, and I don't think it was Rebecca because uh, this is somebody else, said a pug made of pizza by me. But why you say? Just because early in the show we named, we mentioned Pizza Dog, but now we have Pizza Pug to give him, you know, this is like the dollar store version of uh, Hawkeye's dog. But, no, it's really cool. Uh, it's a pug with some pizzas drawn on it. So, I mean, now, it's as it says on the tin, Joe. Now, are you saying that's a pug with pizzas drawn on it? I take that more as it's a pug who's made of pizza, and those are pepperonis on the pug. <gasps> You're right. See, I'm looking at it as little pizzas. Do you know what I mean? I'm saying that it's a food-based animal. Ah, I wonder if it would cry if I ate it. <laughs> well, not if you ate his eyes first, Todd. That's right. Well, I'll leave the back half for you to eat, Joe. <laughs> he wasn't trying to kill you, Homer. He was just trying to drink your sweet, sweet eye juices. Oh... <laughs> <sighs> Anything else? Nope, that was it, I believe. You're wrong, because Captain Cheapshot tweeted at us last week. Uh, uh, would have been, would have been, would have been uh, Thursday. Uh, oh. My mother just found my Wolverine airbrush <gasps> jean jacket. I had I'm it in... back in the day. It's based on the cover of Wizard Magazine 3. And boy, <sighs> howdy is it, I need me an airbrush jean jacket. You know what? I'm so stupid, Joe. I'm so mad at myself now. But yes, there is that. And I mean, I had a denim jacket with a patch with a with a with a musical band sewn on the back because my mother was a seamstress. But man, would I have traded that out in a heartbeat for an airbrush jean jacket? And I'm hoping jean jackets come back, man. I think we're due. We are due, and that is absolutely gorgeous. So um, I really like that. That's fantastic. I mostly wear my core uh, hoodie no matter what the weather is, whether it's 90 degrees out or 30 degrees out. Mm -hmm. You keep your core temperature good? Well, I got to support the brand, you know? Ah, okay. But so thanks to everyone who contributed. And hey, listen, doesn't matter if it's art that you've created yourself. Uh, stuff that you had airbrushed onto a jean jacket <laughs> some 30 years ago uh, or something that you did yourself in, like, you know, kinetic sand. Tweet it at us, tag Todd's Art Attack, and we'll be sure, sure to share your creation, your masterpiece, uh, the prize possession in your collection with the world. If Todd remembers. <laughs> if Todd remembers. So at this point, we're going to take a little bit of a break and kind of end the main show here saying thanks for listening to episode uh was it 5 uh 39 long box heroes because we're going to get into spoiler filled discussion of episode 3 of WandaVision
And I only say that we're taking a break so I can take a drink of water. Right. And you could tack all these together at some point. Right. Uh, right. Right. So I, I've already started doing that. Mm-hmm. So let's get into episode three of the WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one takes place a little bit more in the, uh, I would say the, the late sixties, if you will. Right. And we ended the last episode with Wanda becoming pregnant and their world, their reality, whatever it is becoming color. Right. Okay. Um, so Wanda has a very advanced pregnancy. Uh, I think it happens uh, over the course of just a few days, uh, in the storyline at least. And there's a bunch of uh, sitcom-related tropes of them doing their best to hide the pregnancy from everyone. Because obviously, they weren't pregnant three days ago. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be difficult for them to hide babies, even though, you know, they're going to have babies in four days or whatever it is, right? Right. Um. The doctor comes over, starts to go over some of the uh, stuff with Wanda, how to prepare for the baby. Uh, Vision and Wanda have a discussion about what they should name the baby, either Billy or Tommy. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's at one point in the episode where they're discussing like their lives and the Vision kind of figures out what's going on. Right. And Wanda just rewinds things. To mm-hmm. make him not say what he just said. Right. Kind of like they did in the episode before when they came out and saw the beekeeper. Mm-hmm. So apparently she's got control over whatever's going on, it looks like. Right. It seems as though Wanda appears to be a little bit more in control of this whole scenario. And some of the cracks are starting to show in this scenario as uh, the one neighbor, Herb, next door is trimming his weeds with a lawn trimmer and accidentally cuts directly through the wall. Right. And doesn't realize that he's doing it. And like visions like, Hey, like, and it's, and it's played as a sitcom gag. You know what I mean? Yes. But it's like, it comes back like, cause he's still doing it a little later in the episode and that's where it gets a little different. But yeah, you're like, okay, is, is it supposed to be a gag that he has like this crazy, you know, weed cutter or whatever, but a uh, uh, shrub trimmer, but you know, you know, wacky things ensue in this WandaVision, Joe. Right. Uh, Geraldine comes over, and while she is talking to Wanda about her day at work, the stork shows up. And it's a comedy of errors of Wanda attempting to distract Geraldine from seeing the stork who's delivering the babies. But then it's too late because Wanda has the babies. And I said babies because it's twins. (gasps) Yeah. Just like in the comic books, Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before we get into the comic book stuff, and I'm just kind of explaining everything that happens, um, after the babies are born, and the doctor shows up, so Vision, uh, the doctor co- shows up, and he's like, all right, everything looks to be okay. You're about six months along. I'm going on my vacation to Bermuda. See right. you whenever. Uh, But the babies come shortly after he leaves the house. He, the doctor's car won't start. Vision uses super speed to go over and get him because it's an emergency. 
kind of exposing his powers, brings him back to the house. He helps deliver the babies. And the doctor says to Vision, it's like, oh, bring me back home, but maybe this time not so fast. So Vision it was, does. It was almost and, like, go ahead. No, go ahead. It was almost like he was flying, Joe, he said. Almost like he was flying, yes. Right, but. So um, Vision brings him back and he says, uh, oh, hopefully you're going to have time to make the plane for your vacation. And the doctor's like, nah, well. I guess I'm not going on my vacation now. You know, small towns, you know, nobody ever... Like, doesn't he say something like nobody ever really gets away? He says, you know how small towns are, how hard to escape, he says. Yep. Um. So the babies are comfortably resting. They both get the names of Billy and Tommy. And Geraldine uh, is talking to Wanda. And uh, Wanda tells a little bit of a story about her brother, Pietro. And how he passed away, and then maybe accidentally on purpose, Geraldine says, I know your brother. He was killed by Ultron. Yep. And uh, Wanda kind of freaks out a little bit. Yep. And I this section of things, like, because we're going to get into my, you know, Pepe Silva um, yep. as we go. But yes, like in here, and there's like a cool scene where she's like, I had a little brother, and she ends up singing him a, a, a lullaby, the babies, in uh, Sokovian, whatever the language you would call it. And that's, her, her accent comes back, because like, we forgot that her accent has completely disappeared. Like, I know she had, like in the movies, it was one of those, I have an accent, I don't. But, like, at this point, like, she's as American as, as anything. So that makes me think something's going on. But, but yes, the whole thing of, like, men mentioning Pietro, I was, like, I was floored. But that also brings me back to the thing. Does Vision have super speed? I know he can fly, but he runs at super speed to get him. And they mentioned Pietro, who has super speed. I think there's something you know, interlink like that's a clue somehow, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Cause like why didn't he fly to get the doctor? He ran? I don't know. Weird things, Joe. So do you know the original origin, uh, the original story of the children? Yes, I know. I I, I know the gist of it. Let's put it that way. Um so, in that original miniseries, it's more or less insinuated that Wanda creates the children with her magic. Mm -hmm. And at some point later on where, like, they tried to turn Wanda heel during, like, the latter days. I don't know where this lines up in, like, the Avengers jacket-wearing days. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that was really just kind of, like, retconned out. Um, and I know a lot of people are drawing allusions to like House of M, which was Wanda saying no more mutants, but I don't think it's that new. This is more of that miniseries from the early 80s sort right. of thing mm -hmm. where she has some sort of something happen. And because of the stress of that, the children just disappear. Right. Because she no longer has the same strength of magic to keep them alive. Or I just think the whole like idea of it being revealed to her because mm -hmm. it was real in her own head kind of thing. I think I don't remember. You know, it's been a long time. 
But now, that being said, in more recent days, um, two new characters have been introduced as members of Young Justice. No, Young Avengers. Young Avengers, my apologies. Young Avengers, thank you. Wiccan, uh, Billy Kaplan, and Speed, Tommy Shepard. So Billy and Tommy. Uh Uh Uh-huh. So they have been brought back within the last 10 or so years uh, in the Marvel Universe. A little bit more than that. Maybe like the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are more or less to be believed the return of those children that disappeared. Okay. So we have like all kinds of balls in the air that it could be any of these. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I do like that. I, I do like that. And I do like the moment where what's the Geraldine? Is that the, 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 the woman's name? Yes. Where she's doing the whole Ultron thing. And like that distracts uh, Wanda. And well, outside at the same time, vision's coming home. And that's where she has the discussion with the, the neighbor. He has the discussion with the neighbor and the guy cut, trimming the fences. And they come out of their like fakey sitcom lives and they start mentioning, they're like, you have to watch out for uh, her in the house because like she's not from around here. Like, and you know, like, and they start like hinting at all this stuff and like they want to tell Vision. And I think it has something to do with the fact that, uh, that Wanda was distracted by the mentioning of Ultron that loosened the hold on what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like that they wanted to be like, this is the truth. And it never got out. And then vision goes back to like, Oh, I'm a sitcom dad and goes into the house. And, uh, and I forgot her name again. Is it Geraldine? Yep. Has disappeared Joe. And the, as, Oh, so that's the other thing. Uh, so the other neighbors are like, I don't know. You left her alone with Geraldine. Like, she's new here and she doesn't have a house. Mm-hmm. And Vision's like, what do you mean she doesn't have a house? Like, she's homeless? Right. And they're like, well, we maybe said too much now. But I think that was because in the gist of things, yet they said too much, but they reverted back to normal because Wanda had made her disappear and had wasn't distracted anymore. Do you know what I mean? Sets the world back to normal. And then in a great play of music uh, is Daydream Believer is playing. And and, uh, Gwendolyn, Geraldine ends up like flying out of this weird technicolor thing and lands on a, on a piece of land. She rolls and all these like Humvees and vehicles show up, which to me is either sword or shield or whatever. So does that mean that they're inside this bubble in a, in a town? Like, I don't know, like the ending of it with the with the song that like you know is it you know catchy and and works for what they're doing. I don't know. I really like the end, and it's one of those like now. Can I please have the next episode right now? Oh, I gotta wait. Okay, I guess I will. So I don't know. So and didn't Geraldine also have a necklace with the sword logo on it? If you didn't mention that, yes, I forgot to mention that because she's like, where did you get that necklace? What's on that necklace? And yeah. she has the sword sword emblem. There's a lot going on, man. I'm excited. I am too, because I like, you know, how fun and stupid the episodes are. And then all of a sudden there's always just like 
that knife in the chest kind of moment, like where something's wrong and you feel every week I feel uncomfortable for like a minute. And then I'm like, okay, I want more. And I, I guess, and I, I do my best to avoid this because I don't get a chance to watch it right when it comes out, but I do definitely try to watch it as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I watched it, I guess I saw people were complaining that it's too much of a slow burn. Right. And I'm like, we're three three episodes into a nine-episode show. I'm like, I'm okay with however they want to do it, man. They've They've earned enough goodwill with me that they can kind of sort of do whatever they want. I'm with you because I'm entertained. Are you not entertained? Like, you right. know, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm having fun trying to figure stuff out. And now like, you know, stuff's happening and they're mentioning other, you know, Marvel stuff. And I honestly don't know how much of a, a climax this story is going to have, because I feel like the movies now really, or the, the media stuff really does follow the comics that this is to, start the next thing if like phase whatever so like i'm like i don't know how much of a resolution we're gonna get um if it might run into dr strange in the multiverse you know what i mean so uh, just buyer beware like if you're not having fun i i have a feeling you're if you're not having if you're not enjoying it now i don't think you're going to be enjoying it when it's over if that makes any sense yeah i'm with you and i have been enjoying this i'm i'm here for the ride you know I am too. And like I said last week, because it's something completely different, I'm having a blast. Right. And, you know, I I feel when we come to Falcon Winter Soldier, that's going to be a little bit more straightforward of a show. It's not going to be nuanced like this is, you know? Right. I have a feeling that all of them will be after this. Like, like, how wacky is Hawkeye going to get? How wacky is She-Hulk? She-Hulk, though... Makes me wonder if they would do the John Byrne breaking the third wall kind of a deal. Like, yeah. or they're just going to save that for, they're going to save that for when they bring the old double R into the Marvel universe. Oh boy. So, but I would have fun with a John Byrne-esque, like doing like, you know, mentioning stuff and talking about them, like their actual movies and TV shows or whatever, and doing the same gags as if, you know, like TV show related gags. So we'll see. Um, I just hope, you know, everything's, all these shows are a little different and a little, you know, uh, innovative each way. So we'll see. We'll see. So I think that's it for this, right? Yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah. Uh, so now thanks for real for watching, listening, long box heroes. <laughs> Uh, episode 539 for Todd this is Joe saying we'll see y'all here next week remember be a faucet not a drain you're listening to the soon to be named network the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.